0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Kabbalah Cafe. Or is it Kabbalah Couture? By the way, um, Sandrine, because anytime we encounter a French word, I think of you. So I Googled how to pronounce couture. Couture? Am I pronouncing that correct? Couture. See? See? <laughs> couture. Is it couture or couture? Huh? It's not sure. Couture. 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 I don't know how to pronounce it. It's, what do I know? What do I know? Just a simple rabbi. Anyway, it's about clothing today. That's what we're talking about. Clothing and fashion. So here's the cool thing. The cool thing is that the book of Beratius, the book of Genesis, right? Talks about the origins of everything. Everything that's out there begins in Beratius. That's the big idea. And when we talk about, when we talk about voracious and you think about the dramas that are going on in the book, you have the first instance of curiosity. Think about it. Adam and Eve, curious, I wonder what that fruit tastes like, I wonder why God forbade it. Like, I wonder what that's, what would that, so curiosity. We have the first instance of jealousy, Cain and Abel, it's so interesting to see the first emergence of emotions and drama play out and along with that see the fallout of what happens when those uh those those um i guess in uh, natural dispositions uh are manifest so we have curiosity we have jealousy we have anger we have um what else do we have um love. murder love murder this is the, all the makings of a great plot. Someone should write this into a book. Oh wait, it's already it's already been written, right? It's all the great yeah, make, movies. huh? There are movies. Are, are there movies about Bereshis yeah. about Genesis? No, exactly. oh, really Noah's Ark.
1: No, right, but I don't think that book was ever copyrighted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, Yaakov, if you want to reprint it, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you. <laughs> uh, right, royalties. God doesn't need the royalties. God's good. Anyway, so the uh, the big idea here is that um, when you look at Boratius and you study the book, you encounter all of these amazing beginnings and you can see kind of how and it's so insi- it, um, insightful into the human condition. So today we're going to talk about um, clothing and really two dimensions of clothing. When I say two dimensions, two distinct, well, well, we'll talk about how they how the two ideas um, combined, but two, at least apparently distinct objectives of clothing. Like what role does clothing serve? And it might seem like, well, that's an obvious um, answer, or like a simple question, but we're going to see at the origins of clothing. Where, where does clothing come from? The birth of garments, the birth of couture. Couture? Mm-hmm. I, I will tell you, I googled Couture pronunciation. And some guy with a French accent had a video and he said, sure, Couture. Unless I misheard him. But I'm not suggesting that he's correct. I'm just suggesting that he has a YouTube video. That's all I'm suggesting. That's the only thing that I know. All right. Maybe it's a bad French accent. Right, that's, or maybe I, the accent has is not so precise. Either way, it's all good. Oh. American pronunciation. Right. There you go. He's making it for the Americans, throwing us off, making us think that we know what we're talking about. Meanwhile, we, we sound like fools. All right. Please take and pass. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm passing around a handout that I made. Some of this stuff is going to be, you, you'll, you'll have heard this before, certainly the biblical text you've heard before. We've talked about this story many times. Um, but there is going to be a quote from the Midrash don't peek. You can peek if you want. Whatever. It's a free country. Do whatever you want. But there is going to be a quote from the Midrash that will that, that will just blow your minds. All right. Uh, take and pass. Norm, this is for you. Loba, take and pass. Me. Pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure. Okay, let's jump in. I'm going to share, as always, I'm going to share this, um, this page, this document with everybody online as well. So we're we... not going from
1: a text, we're just going from the...
0: Oh, we are. There is a text.
1: <laughs> we
0: don't always get to it. It's been, it's been a few weeks. We're going from a book. Yeah, yeah, there's literally a book. book. Garments, of the soul. Garments, of the soul. garments of the Soul. Garments of the Soul, speaking of which, let's talk about garments today. Right. Okay, so we are going to jump in. Okay, uh, Genesis of Clothing, or The Genesis of Clothing. What I, what I pulled here was uh, a selection of, of verses from second and third chapters of Genesis. Of course, the context here is Adam and Eve. Um, in the Garden of Eden, God creates all of creation, takes him six days, and, um, and on the seventh day he rests. But although in chapter one of Genesis, it seems like a pretty smooth narrative, Day one, two, three, four, five, six, everything's great. Come Shabbat and there's a day of rest. That's in chapter one. That's how chapter one concludes with Shabbat and everything seems fine. Chapter two reveals that there was a lot more drama that happened on day six that is completely omitted in chapter one of Genesis. And what happens in chapter, what what happened on day six as told in chapters two and three of Genesis? Well, we have the sin of the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil known in Hebrew as the eights. Hadat tovera, which is one of those mysterious episodes that captures the imagination of everyone. Everyone wonders how can Adam and Eve, in their first moments, first hours of existence, how could they violate the divine will so egregiously? That God gives them one commandment. He says, You have the keys to the kingdom slash garden. Whatever you want is at your, is at is at your you know, is available to you. The only thing you cannot have. Is the, tree, is the fruit of one tree, and cut to the next scene, and there they are, where? Around the tree. Let's read this story the way, the way it's a story. We all know this story, but let's read it as depicted in the verses of Torah. Let's go. The Genesis of Clothing. Now, the Lord God took Adam, and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to guard it. I'm going to throw in commentaries as we go along. To work it and to guard it in Hebrew is la'avda u lishamra. La La'avda is to work it, Leshamra is to guard it. And those two phrases correspond to positive commandments negative com- and negative commandments. La'avda, to work it, means to do something positive, to nurture the garden. Leshamra to guard it, would mean to protect it against danger. So in any relationship, there are the positive things that you do to cultivate the relationship, and then there are the things that you do to prevent negative harm to the relationship. Does that make sense? There are the things that we do to support the relationship, and things that we don't do in order to protect the, uh, the boundaries of that, of that relationship. Yes? Let's continue. The Lord God commanded Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you, should, you shall not eat of it. For on the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, just a quick note, because this, this is already like incredible. The amount of commentaries over 3,300 years of Jewish scholarship, you can imagine how many commentaries. Just on these few verses, there's so, uh, hundreds and hundreds of different commentaries and angles of analysis. I want to share with you just a few. Number one. This tree is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is a very interesting um, name. We're not going to get into that. But the point is, this is the tree of, who, of which the fruit thereof should not be eaten. And he, God says, on the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. Now, we know, just, just uh, in context, Adam and Eve did not die on the day they ate, they ate of the fruit. By the way, they ate of that tree. Sorry, spoiler alert. They ate of that fruit, right? They ate the forbidden fruit. They did not die that day. So what's the meaning when God says, you're going to die? Eventually. Eventually. In other words, death is now visited. Death is visited upon humanity. Death is destined, is the destiny of human beings. When does that begin? Right here. So Genesis, remember, I started today's class with this. Genesis tells us the beginning. The first time we find curiosity. The first time we find violating you know, commandments. The first time we find jealousy. The first time we find hatred. The first time we find murder. The first time we find death mortality. Mortality is introduced to the human condition when Adam and Eve will eat from the tree. God says on that day you're going to die. It doesn't mean instantly zap. That was a lightning bolt, by the way. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. The implication is that mortality was not is not um, inherent to the human condition. Mortality is rather something that is an aftermarket add-on, like you would upgrade your car stereo, perhaps, Right? If you want that, I would. Absolutely. I want to rock to some Mordechai ben David. I don't know. Anyway, shweki. Give me some of that like heavy bass shweki. So anyway, the point is, it's like an aftermarket add-on. So the human condition does not include a, 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 the gene of mortality in the original conception, not even conception, the original formation of the human being. There's no mortality. Mortality is visited upon, upon Adam and Eve, when they eat of this tree, which, give me one second. So the Medjus says something remarkable. Adam, at some later point, turns to God and said, you set us up. He's right. He's right. Hold on, why? He said, because in your Torah, that was written 2,000 years before the world was created, it says, Adam ki amut ba'ohel. What happens if a person dies in an enclosed area? And it talks about the state of ritual impurity when you're in the proximity to a dead body. What happens? You get ritually impure. We spoke about that recently in one of the classes, right? So so it talks about death. So Adam says to God, one second, if death was not part of the original script, how was it in the Torah? Yeah. And God is silent. Now you could say, well, God knew that he was going to eat from the trees, so he... He put it in there knowing what was going to happen because God, you know, time has collapsed. God is not stuck in a linear time frame as we are. You could say that. But as the major says, God remains silent. He doesn't answer. This prompts the Kabbalists, well, I mean, you can imagine the Major's alluding to this, but this prompts the Kabbalists to say that indeed, this sin was, although death was not part of the human condition originally, this sin was, on, on, a, on, on many a level, this sin was predestined. It's How long predestined. Was written 2000 years before? Oh was yeah, that's right. So that's a good question. What does that mean? That it was written two thousand years before that the world was created. The way I understand that is not necessarily on a scroll, but it was written and it was, it was conceived of. The ideas, the themes were articulated on on some spiritual plane two thousand years prior. Now two thousand years is a very specific amount of time before time exists. By the way, because before the world was created, there's no concept of time. So to say 2,000 years before the world was created, is like saying, is like saying I like the color table. It's like, huh? What are we talking about? Like, you know, I mean, like what? What is? We're mixing like time and no time together. I don't have. A, it's a great question. I don't have a solid answer, but I think it's just a way of expression. Torah precedes the world, and yet in the Torah, Adam says, "What? Ha- what's up with this? It seems like we were set up."
1: I mean, God definitely was obviously uh, setting them up because, you know, he's taking these two innocent, pure creatures with no experience in anything and saying, whatever you do, don't do that. Right. Like right? reverse psychology its pretty much a setup.
0: Ah, the first time we find reverse psychology. Thank you for more Genesis. Right. right. More first. Excellent.
1: And then, and then um, he, uh, maybe he's saying, or I'm sure there's commentary on that, uh, you shall surely die as a innocent, pure soul. You shall surely The death die. of innocence. The death of innocence. And then um, the other thing was, I just wanted to ask you, uh, apparently sometimes God is writing the Torah. Now God told Adam in the third person, but but he flips back and forth. The first person as well. Most,
0: mostly it's third person, actually.
1: And then first when he's talking to Moses.
0: Uh, not even. Or? Not even. First is flipped. It's flipped to first pretty much only by the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Okay. I am the Lord your God. Otherwise, it always there's always like this third party nar- narrator that's talking about like people and what God says. And Kabbalah actually deals with this. Kabbalah says, well, who's who's that? Who wrote th-? like not who wrote it, but who's that? Who's the, who's the narrator? So it says the narrator is God's essence, whereas the, the name of Hashem and Elohim, the names of God that are used, are like um, as God interacts with the world and with the world and with mankind at Sinai. So it's kind of like um, it's kind of like the office. <laughs> right, where you have where you break the fourth wall. Yes? You have the characters speaking to each other, and one of the characters is God in this in this thing. Mm-hmm. But then you have also the 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 force behind the camera, right? And then you have at some moments it's like that force begins talking with the with the characters and says, Oh, by the way, Anochi Hashem I am Hashem That That God that's been that you've been like I've been narrating now I'm gonna step in, and now, huh? I'm the guy. I'm that guy, right, and now I'm gonna step in. It's almost like, imagine you write, it's crazy, because now you can, you know, gaming and you can create things that that have, you know, similar qualities, but imagine you write a book, and um, you write a book, and you write a book, and you have characters, and, and, and plots, and all these, you know, all this detail in it, and then at some point, the author, interacts with the characters, not just writing the characters and what they're doing, but interacts with the characters. That's kind of what's going on.
1: But he does that with Moses, uh, let me destroy uh, the, the people and I will recreate. No, them. but
0: that's still in the context of the narration where the narrator is saying, God said this to Moses, but it's still a narrator saying, recording that dialogue. Right. So that's still, that still could be within, within that within that frame, yeah. So, this is kind of new, it was wrote 2,000
1: years before, yeah. <clears throat> he knew
0: what was going to happen. What, how does free, free will? Uh, that's a different story. Uh, right. So essentially, Adam is saying to God, why did we get punished? We had no choice. Where's free will? God doesn't answer. So Kabbalists say that sometimes, you know, it's, it's complicated because we believe in free choice. At the same time, we believe in divine destiny. And how to reconcile those two are not always easy. It's Not always easy. We're
1: getting manipulated, right? So
0: anyway, manipulated. that's what it seems like. It seems that Adam and Eve were set up, and yet, in other words, that this this had to happen for whatever reason. Yeah. And the way Kabbalah explains this is because, in order to rise really high, one has to be in a place. One has to descend first in a low place, and as you can't. And also, like the whole relationship, if there had been no sin, would have been top down, God giving. God doing, God creating, all that stuff. But once we go off the rails, then it's... um, I once heard an example, actually, Tzvi Freeman, who lives here, right, Svee Freeman, he gave this this analogy using um, actors on stage as an example, or actors in a, I don't know, in a movie. So he says, um, imagine you give the actor a script, and they're reading their script. Maybe it's live, because that will make it more interesting. But the actors uh, you know has the lines and there's there's a whole there's a whole scene with multiple actors, and in the middle of the scene, the main actor completely forgets the line. And the director is like, oh my gosh, this is this is terrible. This is so embarrassing. This is such a flop. And then the character and then the actor, um, having completely still forgotten the lines, comes up ad libs and ad-libs in a way that is creative and ingenious and powerful and heartfelt and real and authentic, more authentic than any scripted dialogue could ever be. And that's a better scene than the one that's scripted. So there's the script that God writes, and then there's when we mess up and we go off script, and we write our own script, and hopefully we get back to where we need to go, but in, in our own way, that's more powerful than Sometimes following the script, God wanted to give Adam and Eve and us the opportunity to write our own script, getting to the same destination, but with a little creativity, with a little ad lib. Make sense? Ish, ish. Well, on the internet, you can see a lot of they have these the bloopers. Blooper that yeah, keep, they said
1: some of the most famous lines in movies
0: that were ad libbed. Were ad libbed. Yeah, something happened to ad lib. I mean, real the best scenes are also yeah, absolutely. The best scenes are the ones that are ad lib because even the other actors. There's a genuine reaction because it's the it's not the same line that you've heard a thousand times before in, in, you know, in practicing the scene. This is brand new The the laughter is real. The emotion might be real. The reactions are authentic because it's because it's authentic. All right. So, and, yeah,
1: so maybe they're like they're very innocent. They're like childlike uh, Adam and Eve. And then God says, oh, guys, whatever you do, don't eat that. Like, okay, so that was a, a trap. Um, but then he punishes them harshly, and Adam says, hey, you shouldn't be punishing me harshly, uh, you, you set us up, man, you know, don't, don't be like, you did this to us, you wanted this to happen. So maybe um, God's saying, like, when we're kids, when we screw up the first time, okay, then we're not uh, so um, liable, but uh, once we know better, then, you know, then we should know better. Then there's more culpability. But yeah. That's fine.
0: Could be. Or something like that. I think so. They do it on their own. Right. Eve, Eve had a... Yeah. This, it. Right. The serpent. You know it? what? Let's let's actually As read the next guilt. part. So yeah.
1: Guilt, again, I think the, the important thing is... As we get
0: older, there's more we, responsibility. You
1: know, how much guilt should we have, or should we have any guilt, you know, saying, hey, you know,
0: we're just right. re- responding to it. Yeah. Good. Good, good.
1: Many years ago, one of the rabbis here said, a leaf doesn't fall or move or waver without God doing it. Right,
0: that direction, yeah.
1: So if that's the case, is God making us go off track?
0: That's, that's the big question. If God is, is literally propelling every movement, every moment, then, in, then in which space lies free choice? Well, it, we believe that it does, and yet, and so the way to reconcile that is very complicated. I don't know that I fully understand it. I can tell you the Kabbalistic terminology of Pinim Sakezer and Chitzoni Sakezer, but I don't know that I that I can I can break that down. There's a way to to underst- to 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 talk about it, but let's le- let's leave it as a good question. All right, let's continue inside. Now, the Torah continues, and 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 those dots. Oh, I'm sorry. We're at the second paragraph. Anytime you see three dots, it means that I, I kind of you know cut out some verses just for the sake of uh, um, of con- uh, being concise. Now they were both naked, the man and his wife, but they were not ashamed. The Torah drops that line in. This is the last verse of chapter two of Genesis. It drops it in almost parenthetically. It doesn't really fit into any context. There's no immediate before. There's no immediate after. It just says, oh, by the way, they weren't wearing clothes and they were okay with that. In other words, the Torah is emphasizing that in their original um, uh, creation existence, there was no shame. There was no shame. No shame of being undressed, but in general, there was no shame, which ties into what Yaakov was saying about childlike innocence. There was no shame. They weren't wearing clothes. They didn't know any better. They didn't think twice of it. It was not a thing. Let's continue. They ran around the house naked, laughing. Exactly. Now, let's continue. The serpent was cunning more than all the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And it said to the woman, did God indeed say, you shall not eat of any of the trees of the garden? Now, notice how the serpent twists. God didn't say you can't eat any of the trees. He said, on the contrary, you could eat all of the trees except for one. But the snake, which we all have that inner snake inside the Yates or Harad, the evil inclination, that little voice inside that tries to get us into trouble. So that voice, which at that point was external to to Adam and Eve, now we have it inside. But that external voice says, oh, God told you you can't eat anything? What are you going to do? You can't eat anything? So she says, no. The woman said to the serpent, no, of all the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God said, "You shall not eat of it, and you shall not touch it, lest you die." Now, God never said not to touch it. This is where human beings added on. There's a there's a um, there's a machluk, that There's a debate amongst the, the ancient commentaries or the older commentaries whether or not Adam was the one that added on that um, extra stringency of not of not only not eating it but not touching it, or that was Eve's add-on. There's actually two opinions amongst. The, the older sages as to as to you know who added that piece, um, but this is also a cautionary tale. Sometimes when you when you try to add on too much, it can it can detract. It can detract. Tafasta maruba lo tefasta. You try to grab on too much, you grab nothing. of Right. You try to add on and you end up detracting, taking away from from the core. So she says. So again, the serpent says you can't eat anything. She says no no no. We can eat pretty much everything except for this one tree that we can't eat, and we can't even touch it. Okay. Um,
1: And he used that, the snake used that, so that was the thing that tripped
0: him. Yeah, 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 yeah. According to the Medrash, the serpent then pushes Eve um, against the tree, she touches the tree, he says, oh look, you didn't die. It's fine, you can totally touch a tree. And if you can touch a tree, you can also eat from the tree. Boom, checkmate, that's it, (laughs) right? What was the agenda of the snake? What was the agenda? According to Kabbalah, the snake do- doesn't have its own agenda. The D- divine agenda. To provide a test. Zohar uses an example. Zohar says a um, a mashal. The mashal of the It was like poetic and then just one creature decided. No, but it didn't decide on its own. It's uh, the the it's the Ka- Zohar says he used the example of it's a king who wants to test the propriety, the, the, the propriety that's the right word, of his son. And so he puts a test in front of him to see if his son will withstand. He doesn't want his son to fall and, and into that temptation, but he also wants to test the, uh, the strength and the inner, you know, the inner core strength of the, the spiritual um, identity of, the, of, the son, of his son. So he puts that test. I'm not suggesting that we. Why uh, <laughs> does the snake get punished? Why does the snake get punished? I don't know if it's a punishment or a consequence. It's two different things. Maybe you did too good of a job. I don't know. It's a good For succeeding. For succeeding. Yeah. yeah. Right. So right.
1: Predestined. No, it's, to all, you after the
0: fact. it's all scripted. It's <laughs> definitely after the fact.
1: <laughs> so God wanted you know, us that. to have this class and be
0: confused. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully it's not that confusing yet. We're not even up to the, to the, main, to the main thing. All right. So let's, uh, let's get back. Let's get back to this. Um, the uh, Okay, the serpent said to the woman, you will, not, you will surely not die. Come on, you're not going to die. For God knows that on the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you will be like angels, knowing good and evil. That's why God doesn't want you to have from the tree, because he doesn't want you to be so smart. He wants to keep you ignorant. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, after all. So that's why God's withholding that from you, because God doesn't want you to be so smart. He wants you to be like a, like a robot, or like a kid. He wants you to be, you know, More like an angel. Like uneducated. An angel. huh? Like an angel. Like an angel. No, 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 no. The day that you eat it, you're, you're, your eyes will be open, you'll be like angels. In other words, you're, you're now a lowly creature. If you eat it, then you're going to be elevated, and God doesn't want you to be elevated, so that's why he told you not to eat it. That's the argument of the serpent. None of that is true. That's what the serpent is saying. The woman saw... That the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes. By the way, the commentaries point out two ideas: number one, that it would taste good; number one, that number two, that it looked good. Right? We eat with our eyes. Right? Part of part of eating is visual, uh, you know, visual stimulation. So that's an interesting insight that all sorts of uh, food marketers know very well. Um, so, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. By the way, there's a dispute in the Talmud as to what exactly was this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Some say it was... What are the different opinions? Pomegranate. Some say it was wheat. Some some say it was an esrog. Some say it was grapes. Different commentaries. No one says... There is no Jewish tradition that says it was an apple. That is not of Jewish origins? I hate, right. I hate, or or Isaac Newton, right? Didn't he get hit in the head with an apple or something? I can't believe that he discovered, huh? That's also a, who was the guy, who was the guy that did the bow and arrow with an apple? William William Tell. There you go. Apples are everywhere, but not in Jewish tradition with this tree. So there's different different theories as to how this, uh, this myth or this misconception uh, you know trickled into to um, to scholarship it 's not in any Jewish scholarship, but I think it 's depicted in art um, and that kind of made it go viral. Why was it depicted in art i 'm forgetting there 's a Latin word that means something that also could be construed to mean apple, and I think there was a misunderstanding. I want to say like malmo or something m a something there 's some word. Um, in Latin, that was misconstrued. That's one theory. Anyway, let's continue. On, yes. Of all the things that were mentioned, wheat requires yeah.
1: a lot of process. Why did that get
0: in? I believe that the, one opinion says wheat, and they have a way of explaining that. I, I, I would have to look up that Talmudic passage again. It's a good question seems like they would be there for a while. (laughs) It's like, all right, we're going to, I really wanted this tree of knowledge, but we need, we got to let the dough rise. (laughs) It sounds like
1: in this chapter, all the five senses that human beings have are being.
0: Oh, interesting. Right. They're seeing, they're tasting, they're touching the tree. Yeah, at least a bunch of them are covered. They're listening to the snake, right? Okay, now take a look at the next verse. The eyes of both of them were opened. This is immediately after eating, the Torah says, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves and made themselves girdles. So the first thing we hear about, the first thing the Torah says, post-eating of the tree, their eyes are opened, and what happens? They knew that they were naked which tells us that that verse, that said that they were both naked, the man and his wife, but they were not ashamed, that was not an anomaly, that was not like an, ex, an extra verse, that some, just by the way, just, just, just depicting the scene, just in case you wanna picture what's going on, that's what was going on. No, no, this is highly significant. And the Torah is telling us uh, uh, two different states, the state before the sin, and the state after the sin. Before the sin, they're not ashamed, and they're not wearing clothes, after they are aware, their eyes are open, and they knew that they were naked. They and because of that, they sow fig leaves and make themselves girdles. They need to feel the need to cover up, which means, by in contrast to before, where they were naked and they were not ashamed, now they are naked and they are ashamed. Let's continue. Page two. Second, turn over the page, please. To the second side. They heard the voice of the Lord God. By the way, none of the, at this stretch, these are all the verses in order. I didn't cut out anything in this piece. They heard the voice of the Lord God going in the garden to the direction of the sun. And the man and his wife hid from before the Lord God in the midst of the trees of the garden. They're hiding. They're hiding. In, but in contrast to, to not having clothes, to not being ashamed, to being just present and, 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 and there... Now they are trying to hide from God. Hiding, we're going to talk about it. We're talking about shame, the origin of shame. They are hiding. They are ashamed. They don't know what to do with themselves. Let's continue. The Lord God called to man, and he said to him, Ayeka, where are you? In English, we have three words. In Hebrew, there's a beautiful word, one word. Ayeka, where are you? Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I am naked. In case you were wondering if the two are connected, there you have it. I was afraid because I am naked, so I hid. God said, who told you that you are naked? Why is that a thing? You were naked before, right? The animals aren't wearing clothes. How do you know this is a thing? Why are you self-conscious now? Why is that a thing? Why are you aware of that? He said, look at this. Have you eaten from the tree of which I command you not to eat? Where did that awareness come from? He's
1: treating them like children too, because everybody knows that. They just ate from the apple. And he knows where they are, and he knows what they know.
0: Rashi says he's engaging them in conversation, but I, I hear you. He's asking them, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree? And of course, Adam, immediately, I cut it out because thats it's not really uh, relevant to today's conversation, but I'll just mention it very quickly, very briefly. Adam says to God, I did, but the woman that you made, she gave it to me, throws her under the bus. So God turns to Eve and she says, ah, the serpent told me to, you know, convince me to do it. Throwing the serpent under the bus. And thus we have the origins of deflection. The it's, yeah, if all, Halavaya would only be kids that do this, we have now the origins of deflection. The first time that we, it's amazing to encounter in very stark, a very clear narrative, the origin of all these human emotions. He
1: didn't ask the snake, like, why did you do
0: this? No, because the snake is a snake. But
1: the snake can talk.
0: But he knows why the snake did this, because he created the snake to do this. (laughs) Because the snake, the serpent, the nachash was a nachash. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. The question is not, understand this, the question was not, who gave you this idea? The question was, why did you do it? You have free choice. I told you what to do and what not to do. If it was easy, I wouldn't have told you not to do it. If you didn't want to, if there was no temptation, I wouldn't have to tell you not to. I told you not to when the temptation comes, that you should still reject it. So you're telling me, yeah, but they told me to do it. I know you were told to do it. I get that. Who do you think orchestrated this? It was me. The whole point was not to listen to it. Does that make sense? So, listen, so, so here's what's going on. But I, I want to get back to deflection. Human beings have a natural tendency that when confronting something uncomfortable or when encountering one, one's own guilt, to deflect and say, yes, but... Like, yes, but do you know? And then spin whatever other side show. Look at the pony. Look at the look at look at the gymnast. Look at the this. Oh, you know what happened? You know what happened in my youth? You know about my trauma. You know about my neighbor. You know about the you know this, the that, the other. I'm not trying to minimize any of this. I'm just saying we have a way of passing the buck they told me he told me she told me it's my mother's fault all it's a serpent's fault it's my wife's fault right and adam the talmud says adam is also the origin the genesis of of ingratitude god creates a spouse for adam and when things get a little sticky instead of instead of like you know banding together and stepping up and owning it and and moving forward what does adam do throws her under the bus and throws god under the bus implying that had god had you not made her and given her to me and, and introduced her to my life i would not be in trouble the woman that you made got me in trouble in other words whose fault is it really your fault god you're blaming me it's your fault isn't that part of the human condition when faced with when faced with a little uh discomfort we say it's my fault it's your fault it's my fault that I didn't do this. What about you? Let me tell you about your faults. It's unbelievable to see this in action. It's a safe space. The Torah is a safe space because we're thinking about Adam and Eve. Oh, it's, it's clear when it's someone else's narrative how ridiculous that sounds. But again, the Torah is, is written for us to, to, to internalize everyone where they are on their own level. But I think it's very powerful. So, so far today, we've encountered firsts, many firsts. First time that there's curiosity. First time that people listen to bad ideas. The first time that shame is introduced. The first time that embarrassment is introduced. The first time that clothing is introduced. The first time deflection and lack of gratitude is introduced. So many firsts. Using, Let's,
1: using the big lie because everything mm-hmm. that Adam's saying is partially true. Everything that the snake said is partially true. Everything that Eve, Eve said is partially true. But they're getting confused. There's a little bit the, the,
0: of A lie only works when it has a partial truth. Let's yes. finish off over here. And the Lord God, all right, so th- then there's a the fallout, right? So then, so then God says to the serpent, you're, you, you've lost the ability to walk. The serpent was upright. Now you're going to slither on your belly. Um, and, and Eve will be afraid of pain you. Of childbirth. No, um, and then and human beings will try to kill you. That was the punishment for this snake. Yeah, them. something like that. And then you have Eve as the pain of childbirth. And then Adam is, you know, the, 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 yeah, the labor of, you know, work and all that stuff. All right, what's the point? The point is that there's fallout. But after the fallout, there's another verse. This is the third verse, more than three, actually. This is the, I don't know, the third, the third time in which clothing is mentioned. And the Lord God made for, as fourth time, actually. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife shirts of skin. Cut note, or Cut note. What's a cut note? Oded, help us out here. A cut shirt. note? Shirt. Oh, it's a shirt. It's a night shirt. It's on a I like to think of it as a leather jacket. <laughs> I prefer to think of it as Adam just rocking. Here, there he is. This is... <laughs> Harley? You, do, you ride a Harley like I remember riding a motorcycle. right? But High up, right? The handle, usually high up? they are not like this, right? They're up here? They're real ones. They're real ones. Like when I was in a motorcycle gang, that's how we rolled. Right? Right, boom, you're up there. You got the leather jacket. Adam and Eve, they rock next scene. It's like, oh no, they're hiding. And then, and God made them leather jackets. And then they come out, and it's like they're rocking shades. Everything's slow-mo. There's a little smoke behind them. And they got... <laughs> so why yes, yes, exactly. They went they went yes, the they did go, they ate something they shouldn't have. And
1: they're also going west because uh, he said it was in the direction of the sun so that the east is where we turn when we pray because that's the source of the uh, uh, Rachnius, And then the west is always portrayed as uh, a movement towards blitz and glitter and so-
0: uh I hear that, but Dafka not necessarily because we pray in the to we the didn't. east because we're in the Western Hemisphere. Doesn't work in Israel. Work in Israel. Right. And it uses Shchina b'Mayrava. It says the Shchina is in the West actually. Yeah. It says because yeah. in the, the yeah. Beit Hamikdash in the Temple, the Holy of Holies was actually to the westernmost part of the Temple. If
1: you're in
0: the middle of the world, then it's the West. All right. So and here's the here's yes, Toby, you wanted it. No, it's
1: okay.
0: Okay. So here. So let's let's kind of let's uh, let's let's make a sequel. Let's make a summary. Here we have the story, a story that we're all familiar with, but here are the things that I wanna point out. Number one, before the sin, Adam and Eve are not wearing clothing and they're not ashamed. Immediately following the sin, immediately following their their error in behavior, their their eyes are opened, they know they're naked, and they make for themselves makeshift clothing that seems to be not uh, not so sustainable. I mean, out of fig leaves, how long is that gonna last? And then God says to, um, oh, Adam says, God says, why are you hiding? Adam says, because I was afraid. I'm, I'm naked. God says, how do you know that you're naked? Are you from the tree? And then eventually, after all the fallout, God makes leather garments for Adam and Eve. So when we talk about the origin of clothing, and that is really today's subject, is the Kabbalah of clothing. Um, when, when we think about clothing, the first, um, the first utility of clothing is to combat well the first utility of clothing is the idea of covering up concealing in other words in other words there is the idea of shame and as a as a counter to counteract shame or as an antidote to shame we wear clothing we wear clothing now we're shame let's talk about shame for a second where does shame come from and what is shame so Kabbalah speaks, Kabbalah gives a very, I think a very instructive definition of shame. And this, you know, sometimes shame and guilt are confused, but shame is different than guilt. Guilt is feeling bad about something we've done. Shame is feeling bad about ourselves. It's a different, it's a different emotion. Guilt, you don't want to bury yourself. Shame, you want to bury yourself. Shame, we saw with Adam and Eve, you want to hide, you want to disappear. You want to be gone. Remember those Southwest commercials? Want to get away? Right? You've now deleted... You deleted all of the files for your coworker because you fell asleep on the keyboard and everything got deleted. I don't know if this was one of their commercials. I'm just making it up. Maybe they'll hire me, I'm kidding, right? And then he's like, did you delete all my files? Wanna get away? That's not guilt, that's shame. Shame is different than guilt. Guilt is I feel bad about what I've done. Shame is I feel bad about who I am. Shame is a person feels so bad they just wanna like hide and protect themselves. Shame is feeling the gap between where you are and where you think you should be. The gap between where you are and where you know you should be. That gap, that feeling of I can't reconcile these two spaces, that evokes a sense of shame. Adam realizing that he was created by God, given one task, told exactly what to do, what not to do, and in the first few hours of his existence has now violated that, he feels what we might call existential shame. He feels, the, he feels so far from where he should have been, where he knows he should be. He feels that gap and he doesn't know how to bridge that gap. Like, what do you do? Let go of who you think you should be and say, no, this is who I am, just embrace it? But he knows that's not true. He knows he's the Yitzir Kapav Shalak Baruch. He knows he's the hand, he literally the handcrafted being of God. He knows that no other creature was created by God's hand. Only Adam. He knows that. So to tell himself, nah, I'm broken, I'm flawed, I'm going to embrace it, I'm not ashamed, this is who I am. He didn't, have, he didn't have the self-delusion to tell himself that. He knew who he was. He was profoundly great. And yet he did this. How do you reconcile that? You can't. So you just want to hide. You want to cover up. You almost want to disappear. So the first utility, the first modality, the first function of clothing is to hide, to cover, to conceal, to disappear almost. Because hiding from shame. And that's the first introduction that we have to clothing in the Torah. Now what is clothing? The antidote or... The response to shame, right? When you're ashamed, then what do you do? You wear clothing. When you're self-aware, not in an enlightened way, but in a, in, in a way that's, you know, when you're, when you're a little too self-conscious, when you're, when, you're, when you're not so thrilled with how you feel and who you are, cover up. That's the first introduction to clothing. Clothing in this context has a negative connotation. However, there is a second way of understanding clothing. So if you would just go by the literal reading of this, of this Torah section of the, these two chapters of Torah, chapter two and three, you would say, what is clothing? Clothing is born of sin, is born of shame, is born of embarrassment, is born of trying to literally cover yourself and hide because you cannot face your God. You cannot even face yourself. Remember Adam and Eve put on clothing or sewed fig leaves before God appears on the scene. I know God's everywhere, but before God announces his presence, says, Hey, what's going on? They can't face themselves. It's not just they can't face the authority. They can't face God. It's not just they can't face their maker. They can't look at themselves in the mirror. So the first introduction to clothing is shame, a negative connotation by all accounts. And by the way, This is a motivating factor for why we wear clothing, right? To cover up. That's one factor. But there's a second understanding of clothing. Today's class could have been titled A Tale of Two Clothes.
1: Tale of Two (laughs) Coattails?
0: Yeah. Here's the second understanding of clothing. The second understanding of clothing is that clothing is not intended to hide, but rather to reveal. And the truth is, when we think about clothing, we can, we, can, we can recognize this as a truth. As much as clothing hides, it simultaneously reveals. Clothing reveals our personality. We express ourselves through what we wear. We express our mood through what we wear. A person might say, I'm feeling happy. I'm going to wear, what's a happy color? Red. Yeah, whatever it is to you, might wear a happy color. Person said... <laughs> A person might say, I'm feeling a little more subdued. So I'm going to wear more muted colors, right? I'm going to wear something a little bit more outgoing or a little bit more, or your dress for work versus going out to dinner versus on vacation versus hiking versus mountain climbing. Maybe that's the same. I don't know. The point is, dress is not just about covering. It's also about Paradoxically, exposing clothing conceals, but it also reveals. It's a great way to express who we are and how we're feeling. It's a great way to express our personality, our ideas. So you might see a professor dress one way, a scientist dress a different way, um, and our teacher dressed a third way. And it's ways of not only responding to some external fact or or vocation, but also internally how one feels, right? Someone who's artistic will probably dress in a way that expresses that artistic quality within. Why? Because that's who they are and it expresses itself in one's clothing. So clothing, on the one hand, clothing conceals. On the other hand, and that's the first introduction, In Torah, shame, hiding, literally Adam and Eve want to, certainly Adam wants to disappear. He's hiding amongst the trees in the Garden of Eden. He just wants to be gone. He's like, how do I get out of here? How do I delete myself from this whole scene? And he can't because he's still here, but he's trying to hide. The second modality of clothing is about revealing, revealing one's personality personality one's mood, one's ideas, one's self, revealing one's very essence. It's kind of strange that clothing, can re- can both, clothing both hides and reveals, but Kabbalah says it's not strange at all. It actually makes sense. Because if you really want to reveal what's on the inside, you have to conceal what's on the outside. I'll say that again. There's the, in, Kabbalah speaks of Gilui and etzen. You have, gilu means the way something shows up. And etzem is the way the thing is. The way the thing is. Like, at the core. So there's the way something is at the core, and then the way that things show up. So for example, every human being, there's the way you are inside. In other words, the real you. And then there's the you that people know. Now you're going to say, no, I'm very authentic. Everyone knows exactly who I am. And I'll say, Maybe. Maybe, maybe, it's possible. It would be a very good thing if everybody knows exactly who we are. There's who we are, and then there's how we show up. The only way, the only way for the inside to be revealed is for the external stuff to go away. In other words, let's talk about the, Let's talk about the um the life of a relationship. I want not the life, the, the arc of a relationship, how a relationship evolves. Stages. Yeah, yeah, the stages. So let's say a romantic relationship. So let's say it might begin very very excitingly, very exciting and very um very intense and very passionate. And then as relationships do so that um, that intensity, that intense passion, I mean, how long can that last for? right? So that cools down a little bit. And one might think, oh well, then the relationship is over, right? Where's the passion? Where's that excitement that used to be there in the beginning? What happened? But Kabbalah teaches that there's a difference, different stages of relationship. the beginning of a relationship, You have the excitement, but that's more of an external excitement. That's kind of the external, that's the giloy, that's the external um, manifestation. That's where that's getting excited. But the essence, the core, is not there. The core connection is not present when there's all this external pomp and circumstance. It's only when that quiets down that one can begin to build a real relationship and a deep relationship. You can't build a real soulful connection as long as the the as long as there there's all of that stuff. I'm not I'm not trying to diminish that part. But there's two different realities. There's the external part and the internal part. And so the rule of thumb is that if someone's looking at the outside, they're probably not seeing the inside. Why? Because you're getting distracted by the outside. This is with human personality, and this is, this is across the board. And so Kabbalah says, this is really the, 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 the secret of clothing and how we reconcile both ideas when it comes to clothing. On the one hand, clothing conceals. On the other hand, it reveals And the idea that Kabbalah explains is that it reveals precisely because it conceals. It conceals one thing to reveal another thing. It conceals one layer to reveal a deeper layer. That's really what clothing is about. So, another analogy, if we move away from clothing into ideas. Another form of understanding this is the following. A teacher might use an analogy to explain a concept. So a teacher, there might be an idea, a concept, that is a little theoretical, a little abstract, but to bring it down to the student, the teacher says, let me give you an analogy. Let me package it into a story, into another context, and then you'll understand that idea. And once you understand that idea, you can unpack it and understand the real abstract idea, the real theoretical idea that I want to share with you. Does it make sense? Yeah? You take an idea, you package it. I just did that. Right? You take an idea. an example
1: of that?
0: Yeah. I just, yeah. <laughs> My example is an example. You see what I just did there? Right? So you take an idea and you package it. And then you deliver the package. What's happening? You take an idea and you clothed it. You garbed it. You hit it in a story. Let me tell you a story about a king and his son the prince and the king was not happy with the prince so he sent them away and then the son got involved in who knows what and then years later he comes back to the palace and he wants to be reunited but he forgot you know, the language and, and, and the guards look at him and he looks all disheveled and they say who are you? He says I'm the prince. He says you're the prince? No way. The prince would never look like that and he begins crying and, and crying. He doesn't know what to say and he's outside by the palace gates and inside the king hears the cries and knows right away it's the cry of his child and he runs down through all the palace chambers outside to the gates tells them to open up the gates and hugs his child and the Baal Shem Tev says that's what the shofar is the shofar is the cry of the soul no matter what we've done throughout the year no matter where we've gone right whatever journeys we've taken comes this time of year El this week is Rosh Chodesh we start blowing the shofar in preparation for Rosh Hashanah every single day except for Shabbat we're going to blow the shofar. The shofar is the cry of the soul that pierces throughout the, all the chambers to the innermost chamber of the palace. And God says, that's my, son, that's my child. Baal Shem Tev takes the idea of what Rosh Hashanah is, what the shofar is, and tells us a story. Could we understand the story? Absolutely. Does that give us insight into shofar? Yes. So you could say that a shofar is the cry of the soul that God hears, Okay, it's still a little bit out there. But you tell me a story about a king and a prince, a wayward son who comes back, he doesn't know what to say, he doesn't have the, the code, he forgot the code to the gates. They look at him, they laugh at him, but he cries, and that cry pierces through all the chambers. Ah, now you got me. That's a great story. It's a great story. What happens? What happened? The Baal Shem Tov took an idea, put it into a story. It's a garment. The story is not chauffeur. It's a king, it's a it's a made-up king, it's a made-up prince, it's a made-up story, it's a made-up drama, right? We call that um, fiction. How's that chauffeur? Two to, chauffeur is chauffeur. The story with a with a fake king and prince is a fake king and prince. What's the connection? He's taking an idea and clothing it, garbing it into a putting it into a package and saying here you go so on the one hand the story conceals the idea you don't you don't hear chauffeur when you hear the story about the king and the prince until the until you connect the dots so on the one hand it's concealing on the other hand it's revealing does that make sense but you it, and the idea here is that you could sometimes you can only reveal something really deep when it's concealed so clothing both conceals and reveals clothing both Conceals the body and reveals the soul. That's what clothing does. It conceals, and at the same time, because it conceals, it reveals something deeper. Right? Instead of getting stuck by the external, you get to know somebody. Right? You're blocking one thing to reveal something else, which is why the measure says something that is absolutely... Goose bump generating. Is that the right way to say it? said no and ever. You have it here in the sheets. Let's pull it up. Alright? Look at this. This will blow your mind. Midrash. Garments of light. The Midrash on the verse Genesis 3.21 says as follows. This is the last, the last paragraph. Short and sweet. In Rabbi Meir's Torah scroll, they fa- Rabbi Meir was one of the mi- sages of the Mishnah. He lived about 18, 1,900 years ago. They found a Torah scroll that he had written. And the Midrash tells us what they found in it. In Rabbi Meir's Torah scroll, it was found written garments of light. Cut not ar with an aleph. It only works in the Hebrew. In other words, in the Hebrew, you can write the word ar. It sounds the same thing. Ar, ayin, Vavresh Or ar, aleph, Vavresh. One means leather skin, or skins, leather. One means ar, light. In Rabbi Meir's Torah, the ayin was replaced with an aleph. What's the meaning? When God made garments for Adam and Eve, what kind of garments did he make? Garments of concealment or garments of revelation? Were these concealing garments or revealing garments? In Rabbi Meir, no surprise, Meir means to shine. Meir means to shine. In Rabbi Meir's Torah scroll, it was found written, or with an aleph. Garments of, not skin, not leather, light. Says the Midrash, this refers to Adam's garments, which were like a torch, shedding radiance, broad at the bottom, and narrow at the top. I don't know exactly what that means. Whatever, I, the dimensions, I can't get past the first part. I can't, I can't force myself to try to figure out the last part, why net broad at the bottom and narrow at the top, because I can't get over the first part. Like Garments a flame of light. Has, a at top. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, see, I, I knew there was an explanation. but I, mean, I just can't get past the R. I can't get past that, that, that idea. In his Torah scroll, there was a letter switched How do you look at concealment in your life? How do you look at challenge? Do you look at the block? Or you look at the opportunity? Do you look at a door closing? or you look at a door opening? When you see the garments, do you see a point of concealment or an opportunity for revelation? What do you see? You know what Rabbi Meir saw? Kat Nat Ar with an Aleph. He saw garments of light. We all encounter moments of concealment. We all encounter moments of blocks. We had a plan. We had a vision. We had hopes. We had dreams. And then, as, the, as, as they say, life happened. Life happened. And what's life happened? What does that mean? There was a life happened. What does life happen? Things happened. These turned out different than what we thought. Right? We met different people. We had different experiences. We ended up where we never thought we would be, etc. The question is, how do you and I, how do we look at the garments in our lives? Are our garments concealing or are they revealing? Are they hiding? Or are they giving us opportunities? And the truth is, it's precisely because they hide that they reveal. The plans that we drew up for ourselves We're not part of the divine script. We spoke about the divine script today. It's not part of the divine script. You know how sometimes if you have opted into the right slash wrong things, you might get an email at the end of every month, Google telling you every step you've taken. You get that? I get that. Super creepy. There's something that I obviously need to opt out of, <laughs> right? I don't know how that happens. That's you get that? It it's, yes, that's what I'm saying. Google Timeline. It's called Google Timeline. They're like, oh, here's what you've done the last month. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> what, what, is, what is happening? <laughs> nah, it's still there. No, I actually, I actually think it's fun. No, but anyway, the point is like this. Google Timeline tells you where you've been. Google Time I call GT. The other GT, God's Timeline, tells you where you're going to be. God directs the footsteps of man. God determines from before we were born, God knows and God determines exactly where we're going to be. What appears to us as a block is actually an opening. It's only a block in our minds because we had all these ideas about exactly the way things should work out. Well, what do we know? We know nothing. <laughs> I mean, we know something, but virtually nothing of of the whole picture. Garnished. We know nothing. How limited is our little little view? What do we know? The, all, the only thing we know is the information that's fa- we are like AI. It's only the ideas that were that were fed us, right? It's, 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 the, it's the things that we've encountered along the way, learned, studied, opened up, read. That's all we have, right? It's as good as the data that went in. When you train AI, it's however good is the data that went in, that's what's going to come out, right? If you're lucky, right? No, right, no, no, I know, no, because we're not perfect. We're not perfect retaining everything and we can see things the way they aren't as opposed to the way they are right? But on a good day, all we have is what is the data we've collected. When it comes to data, you know what they say, garbage in, garbage out. It's like, it depends how good the data is. But that's all we, our view is so limited. And yet somehow, for some reason we think that we have the idea, we we should be able to know exactly where we should be and should we have vision and ideas and we chart ourselves and our, and then, kicking and screaming we're pulled into the spaces again not like google timeline that tells us where we've been we're pulled into the spaces that we're meant to be and we have two options we can look at this as a fluke as a mistake why am i here i'm not meant to be here this is wrong right who wrote this script Clearly, there is no script writer. This is one big cosmic accident. What's happening here? We can look at it that way. Complete mistake. Complete mistake. We can look at the clothing as concealment. It's taking me away from where I'm meant to be. Or we can read it as katnat ar with an aleph. We can read it as garments of light. This concealment, the so-called concealment, is actually opening me up to my purpose of being to where I'm meant to be. This is a tale of two clothing. Clothing born of shame. Clothing born of purpose. The first set of clothes, we'll call it two sets of clothes. The first set of clothes that Adam and Eve put on are clothing born of shame. I can't believe what I've done. Shame is the distance between where you are and where you know you should have been. And not knowing what to do with that, I need to work. Adam and Eve put on clothing. But Rabbi Meir saw that the real clothing that they were wearing, that God gave them, was not to feel bad about themselves or shame or they want to disappear, they want to end it, they want to hide from God. Wear your clothing with pride. These are not garments of concealment. These are garments of light. You are now in a space where you violated God. No one else violated, you violated God's will. That's so embarrassing. Now it's an opportunity. Now is your opportunity to write your script and to come, like we said before with the screen, with the, with the, the actor that goes, off, that goes off script, forgets the lines, flubs, messes up the lines. Now you can come back. Now you can come back bigger and better than before. Don't look at it. Don't be stuck in the shame. The first set of clothing. Embrace the second set of clothing. These are garments of light. This is now your destiny. If you find yourself here, if you find yourself here, it means, as Adam eventually discovered, it means that God puts you here. You're going to say, but I made the choice. I messed up. I made a mistake. There are no mistakes in God's world. That doesn't let you off the hook. All it does is puts you into a place where you can embrace where you are to make the next great thing happen. That's what garments of light are. Garments of light means that I recognize that this is my purpose. This is not a block. This is an opening that doesn't justify negative behavior. We can't go into something on the front end thinking, I'm going ma- to do something wrong, and then if I do it, then it's an opening. It's not a block. We can't do that. That's outsmarting, that's out, trying to outsmart the, you're trying to outgame the game. You can't outgame the game. But when we find ourselves, right, when we find ourselves in any space, we have to remember, or Torah is encouraging us, Kabbalah is encouraging us to remember, that the, there's two ways you can look at it. You can be embarrassed. Look what I've done. I can't believe what I've done. What kind of person does that? Who am I? I want to hide. Or you can say, this is where I am. And now I have an opportunity to climb higher from here and to reach something greater than I could have ever achieved. Precisely because I made that mistake. Huh? Instead of hiding, it's time to shine. Right. Don't hide, shine. That's the message. Two forms of light. When we find ourselves in a space where we are uncomfortable, we are, you know, unsure, this is your opportunity. When we meet someone else who's down on themselves, share this with them. You are where you are by divine guidance. Now shine. Sam, I like how you put it. Now, the, the, the commandment is go shine. I'm not covering, God says to Adam and Eve, I'm not covering you up to, to hide you, to bury you, you know, to camouflage you amongst the trees. He didn't put on camo, right? Right? It's 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 garments of light, now shine. What's the message? It's the month of El, it's coming up this week. Thursday and Friday is Rosh Chodesh. So Thursday night, Friday is the first day of El. El is a month of, I would call it a month of. Um, but it's more than reflection. It's a month of pivoting, huh? It's a month of, it's a month of pivoting. It's really a month that's driven by action. Tishri, Rosh Hashanah, we already should be in, we should already be doing, we shouldn't be making, I mean, I shouldn't say shouldn't. Rosh Hashanah is less about making New Year's resolutions than already being in that place where we wanna be. We have 30 days now, plus, right? We have 30 days, we have a full month, month of El, to think about where we wanna be and to start moving in that direction. But one of the key mindsets is, don't get stuck in the shame. Don't get stuck in thinking, you know, this past year I had all these dreams and look, what, what did I do? So then I'm not gonna dream this year. Don't get stuck in the negative. Don't get wherever you are is by divine design, is by divine, you're right where you need to be. And where you need to be is in the greatest position for you to shine. A light, a flashlight shines best when it's dark. If you find yourself in a place that's less than light, Think about this is my chance to shine in this space. This is my chance to share light within my own environment, within my, within my community. This is my chance to shine. May we take this message, may we embrace this message. Let's make this L really transformational. Think about what it is, where we wanna be, and, uh, and let's, let's achieve it out of a place of positivity, joy, and most of all, based on today's conversation, light. Thank you very much for joining me this morning for Kabbalah Couture. <laughs> Hope you all enjoyed the lesson. Um, thank you. class amazing. I love it. Love it. Thank I'm you. I'm working on, on dresses on paper, but now right. I understand why. I'm so, so impressed. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Mariana, when you when you create, when you create your creations. Think about the dual role. It's hiding, but it's not, not that's, the, that's easy. It's not just hiding, it's revealing, it's opening up. That's the key. Um, I wanna mention just a few things that are coming up that are of note. Number one, a week from tomorrow night, we are having a Holocaust survivor who lives in Arizona, Prescott, anybody know where Prescott, Arizona is? Yeah,
1: yeah. North, uh, Scottsdale.
0: Yeah, it's kind of out there. I was curious, was it's curious. yeah. So she lives in she lives in Prescott. Ninety um, five year old Holocaust survivor Esther Bash. She's known as the Honey Girl of Auschwitz. She she, she arrived in the death camp on her sixteenth birthday, and uh, she survived. She survived harrowing encounters with um,
1: Mangle.
0: with Mengele exactly, and uh, and she has created a beautiful life. And she's going to share her journey, her story with us live right here at uh, at at the synagogue. This is a week from tomorrow night. So I encourage everybody to join, spread the word. It's going to be a very powerful evening. Um, Second announcement is regarding a Shabbaton, a Shabbat experience coming up. This is gonna be a ton of fun. Um, My brother-in-law is coming in from London. He was for about 15 years plus, he was a chazan in Sydenham synagogue in Johannesburg. He is a trained cantor as well as an opera singer. We're putting together a choir to make this super authentic. The Atlanta Men's Choir will be performing. So we have Shabbat services. He's going to be leading Friday night as well as Shabbat day services. We're going to have a themed Shabbat dinner, South African themed Shabbat dinner Friday night. It's going to be so much fun. And we have three scholars and residents who were born and bred in South, South Africa as well, so you don't have to. By the way, you don't have to be South African to enjoy this. It's just a in- <laughs> theme for, for the weekend, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So please join me, August twenty fifth, twenty sixth. Um, the only thing that you really need to RSVP for is the dinner, but please join us. It's going to be a ton of fun, great food, great spirit, great entertainment. And um, by the way, he's a chazan, but he's not. He's not like. I don't know how to say this. He's not like a stuffy chazan. Like, you know, he's, yeah, he's like, he's a, he might be a tenor. No, I think he's, he's got a very, he might be a tenor actually. I think he's a tenor, sure. but he's right. He's, he's a lot of fun. He's hilarious. He's very entertaining and he's, uh, he, he's fantastic. So join us for everything, for all of it and all the other classes that are starting. We have a new class starting this week. Money Matters, Jewish Business Ethics, Wednesday afternoon and Wednesday evening. Check all that out on the website the Torah Center atl.org. All right. That's it. That's all the news that's fit to print. (laughs) Pleasure. 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 Yeah.
1: Um, So this uh, shame also, it's not just moral failings, right? It's regret. Like we made huge mistakes, yeah. et etc. And we're like, oh, we wanted. It's be still more. light,
0: and it's still light.
1: We, we have losses, etc. And but it's all for the right thing. Because, it's
0: all. It's uh, it's all. I would say this. It doesn't let us off the hook, but it it, it just means one thing. Where I am is where I'm meant to be. And there's an opportunity here. Perfectly suited. Perfectly where I need to be to, to do the next big thing. Right. By the way, as I mentioned before, sorry, a scheduling announcement. Next week, remember, we're, we're here, same bad time, same bad channel, with the lavish breakfast in the hallway is back. So we've got the hot breakfast back with eggs and, and what else is eggs? Yogurt. Yogurt and oh. granola and hash browns and shakshuka and grilled veggies and bagels. The whole, the full spread is back best breakfast in Atlanta. By the way, if you're enjoying Sundays, don't keep it to yourself. Share the, spread the word. Tell people to come. They'll enjoy it. Hopefully, I'll make bad jokes. You'll apologize later and that's it. That's how it rolls. You introduce people. You're like, who is this guy? Why the bad jokes? And whatever. Everyone gets over it's it. Part of the deal. <laughs> it's part of the suffering. You think, back in the day, Kabbalah was taught by a tree in the forest with a secret password. Now, to get some Kabbalah, you have to weather the storm of the... Uh, of the humor, so that's it. All right. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. I have a so, or, or a comment or whatever. But um, so, uh, Adam never answered God's question, "Where are you? Where are you?" Oh, right. I heard your voice. So, right. Uh, he asked Moses, uh, uh, Abraham, "Where are you? Here I am." Anybody who asked Moses, uh, uh, Abraham, a question, what, Abraham? present. I'm ready for whatever the. Hi, Waverly. I'm ready. Yeah. And,
0: By the way, I think it's a massive contrast. You're massive right.
1: Contrast. And
0: he's like, a Avram says I'm present James. and at yes. a- good point. And Adam right. says, I'm not here. I want to be gone. I want to be at like I'm trying I'm literally trying to disappear.
1: He doesn't even answer the question. Yeah, well, I heard your voice and I was afraid. Like, where are you? He didn't say where he didn't answer where yep. I am.
0: Yep. Powerful. Good insight. All right. uh, Let's say farewell to our online crew. Matt, it is great to see you as always. Ellen, good to see you. Glad that you're here. Mariana, great to see you. Larry, great to see you live from California. Cheryl and Lisa, great to see you guys. Shavuot tov. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. Hopefully, I'll get out. Yes. So I put the.